Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Priesthood Dispatchers channel. Uh, you might be able to see just to my right hand side, we have the one, the only, Radio Free Mormon coming to us all the way from the western seaboard of the United States of America. How are you doing today, RFM? I'm great. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I think it's really early where you are, and it's the afternoon, so I am, you know, getting ready to have a drink and wind down for my uh, Friday evening, and you're just getting started with your work day. I've got my whole Friday ahead of me. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to be the highlight of my Friday, I'm sure. I hope it is. Uh, so it is Friday, the 4th of February. Welcome back to the channel. Please like and subscribe. If you're listening on the podcast, whether that's uh, my podcast or I think you're going to use the audio on yours as well, RFM. The audio? Yes, absolutely. With your kind permission, I will. Uh, no. And also depending on how this goes. Well, yeah, if it's a total car crash, then uh, you can just just trash it yeah, don't cock <laughs> it up okay no fantastic okay <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna say if you can leave a review wherever you get your podcasts and remember what your mama always taught you if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all or as um, may west used to say if you can't say anything nice about somebody come and sit by me <laughs> yes well, interestingly enough, uh, one of the things that I love about RFM and listening to Mormonism Live with RFM Bill Real and now Maven, and also listening to the podcast, because I've been listening to your podcast for many a year, and something that I do at night, <laughs> this might sound really creepy, sorry. Do you really uh, want to share this with the audience? No, <laughs> I always go to sleep to a podcast. It just chills me out. Okay. So my kids were asking who the guest was this week. And I said, it's RFM. And they said, is that that guy we hear at night every night? And I was like, yeah, it probably is. Um, because you've got quite a distinctive voice, which is great. And yeah, um, sometimes my kids hear you. So they, they know you as the guy in dad's bedroom at night. Um, when dad's so, going to sleep. Yes. Yeah. So not that you, oh man, that's gone down a really weird, weird kind of path that you put him into well, sleep. You're the one who put, brought it up. You're more I've been told that. that a lot of people listen to my podcast in order to get to sleep. It has a certain soporific effect. Yeah. But yeah, you made me what I am today. So thank you. Well, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Make me proud. Okay. Awesome. Well, we're going to start with an apology. Uh, from a previous episode, I mentioned a sister missionary from Australia. Uh, I was her district leader here in the UK. And I mentioned that that sister missionary may have given uh, a blessing to a brother in need on her mission. And that there was some, uh, it was a bit of a sticky situation. That sister missionary has reached out all the way from Australia. Um, who would have known it 15 years later? Um, she still wants to tell Elder PD 
um, that he was a bad boy. She's let me know that for the record, she was not the one who gave the blessing. Uh, that her and her companion went to visit a brother in the ward, less active brother, and they took, because they were very good, a chaperone with them who was a YSA sister from the ward. And it was whilst they were trying to arrange medical attention for this brother that they turned around to find the YSA sister with her arm to the square and the other hand on the gentleman's head, um, casting out, as she puts it, demons, afflictions, and sickness. So, Sister Australia, I apologize. Um, but I think that would have been quite a cool story to say to people that you've done that. You know? It would be. Are sisters supposed to raise their arm to the square and cast out demons and bad things? I thought maybe they should raise their arm to the triangle. To the triangle. Yeah, that's for sisters, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? Sisters could do it so much better than we do. Like, I remember whenever I gave a blessing, I had kind of a pro forma in my head that I'd go through. Obviously, you've got the special words at the start that have to be said in the right order or it doesn't work. Right. You know, and then it, I'd always tell them that their Lord was well pleased because that's a nice thing to say. Yes, he's so pleased that he's smitten you with whatever it is I have to give you a blessing for. Yeah. And did you find that you could pick up good bits from listening to other brethren give blessings? So uh, uh, I think the most important thing in any blessing that's given in the church is usually the escape clause at the end. You yeah. got to give God an out for not, uh, you know, performing. Yes. Uh, for me, it was, and I bless you with anything else that the Lord sees fit. What was yours? Um, well, usually what it is, is uh, I, we bless you that you'll be healed if God really, really wants it. Uh, or by your faith. Because... Yes, by your faith. That's important because we want to make sure that the person, if they don't get healed, which happens, oh, I think, probably more than 90% of the time, I'm just guessing. We yeah. want to make sure that that person who doesn't get healed realizes that it's their fault. <laughs> it always is. It always is. Okay. Well, it's not my fault. I did my part. I feel like we've we've exercised the demon just in in that moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Right. Okay. Well, before we get to RFM, I want to do TikTok of the week. Uh, we have um, a TikTok here um, that I came across, and it wasn't from an ex Mormon TikToker, but I think this one um, it just really. It's amazing. It's from Saudi Arabia, um, where, yeah, they take their religion seriously. And this is the Olympic coverage from Saudi Arabia and what they do to keep their young men holy and clean. Just take a, uh, a quick look at it. It gets better. <laughs> For anyone listening on the podcast, on all the women's events, they have placed um, big black squares or asterisks over the parts of the female that are forbidden so arms legs torso so you can only see the head the feet and the ankles 
but the technology is not amazing and these squares are kind of slow. So, how do, how do I get that, that job? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I mean, the guy who has to sit there and reanimate the whole thing. That's going to be a tough job. You imagine, though, we've got the whole pawn shoulders thing, but there's young men who are just dying to catch a glimpse of a woman's calf. Yeah, and some of the times it's not good enough and they actually do get a glimpse. Yeah. But what do well, they do with a guy who's actually doing it? Because the guy who's doing it probably has to see something. Yeah, so this is this is a uh, an interesting point. I knew a brother over here in the UK and he wanted to, or his wife wanted to watch Game of Thrones. Are you a Game of Thrones? Have you seen it? Oh yeah, multiple yeah. times. So in the in the earlier seasons before Game of Thrones started to take itself seriously, there were quite some racy scenes. Um, so what he did, I didn't watch those. I just fast forwarded through those many times. Well, well what he did for his wife. <laughs> <laughs> many times <laughs> well, what he did for his wife is he watched it and um uh, edited it for her so so that she oh. didn't have to watch it well that was nice that's true love so yeah so he could say now they have sex perfect so you're she a was, talker she was kept holy and clean remember that scene with the hound in the tavern you're a talker Yes, well, this is also something we're going to get onto later. <laughs> he wanted all the chickens. <laughs> Bring me every chicken. That's right. I'm going to have to eat every chicken in this place. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite one is Tyrion when he was speaking about God. And he, was, he, he referred to himself as the Lord of Tits and Wine. Yes. Because he drinks and he knows things. Right, right. I actually have a drinking glass over here that was given to me as a gift for my daughter, which has that on it. I drink and I know things. They've got Amazing. the most powerful people in the entire world gathered together at that table. And they look over at Tyrion and say, what do you do? <laughs> I drink <laughs> and I know things. Yes. Um, and Varys reminds me of like the um strengthening church members committee they've just got little birdies everywhere um pulling pulling strings because he's various is the character that is always on the council but everything he does because he does a lot he kind of does behind the scenes and you find mm -hmm. out about later um so you've you've got those who the, the hand of the king etc um, who were all up front and doing all the politics, but the person really running the place uh, is Varys. The, you know, if he lived in Utah, he'd be a lawyer. Uh, no offense, <laughs> he'd be a, a lawyer working for Curtin McConkey, um, who sits on many dubious boards within the church uh, structure. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful show. I loved all of the seasons except for the last one, but I understand that's a common sentiment. Oh my gosh, the last season was shocking. Um, did you see the image of the horse 
that someone uh, drew. So that uh, someone drew. Yeah, they they created this image, uh, a pencil drawing of a horse, um, and this horse was the season one and two. It was um, it was like uh, Picasso, perfect drawing. But then as the seasons went on, the drawing got a little bit dodgier each time. So so that season seven was just like a uh, a total mess. Here you go. I'll show it to you because that's how we roll here on Priest of Dispatches. We like to see things um, in in person. Now this is just going to be a Google image. Yeah. Okay. So if you can zoom in here. Um I remember the white horse from the, the last season. No. Is this like trigger? Do you so, even get that by the way? That's kind of an American reference. I'm not sure if you trigger. Get trigger. Yes. No. No. Famous horse over here in the States. Okay. We'd be like Red Rum. But you can see Red here. Rum? Is Red Rum the name of a horse? Oh, yeah. Really famous horse here in the UK. Won the Grand National several times. Is actually buried on the finish line of the Grand National. Really? Yeah. He's, Is that a uh, steeplechase where they have to sort of jump over the mound? Yes. Yeah. That's like uh, it's one of the, the oldest uh, horse races in the world. I know Red yeah. Rum from Stephen King, The Shining. There you go. Maybe you know used... what Red Rum spelled backward is, don't you? Uh, uh, Murder. Oh wow, yeah, Murder. That's uh, Red that's Rum. Red yeah. Rum. Wow, I've never heard that one. Mm, um, yeah, but here you can see this horse. Seasons one to four, uh, and season five, fantastically drawn, um, perfectly drawn. And then as you go on season six and season, season seven and eight, it becomes a total mess. Is that sort of an artistic rendition of how they felt the seasons went? Yeah, because they were absolutely shocking, let's be honest. Yes. Kind of got bad at the end. But I did love it when uh, everybody was wondering who's going to kill the king of the Nightwalkers. Yeah, and um, so for anyone listening who's not a Game of Thrones fan, you better go apologize. watch it fast. Yeah, uh, spoiler, Arya Stark, where she jumps up and he grabs her by the neck, should she not have frozen? You know, because he's like Jack Frost. Anyway, we digress. Um, later on, if you enjoy the one-liners that RFM comes up with that stump Bill Real consistently, uh, <laughs> I love- I love listening to it because you'll be you'll you'll be like uh, to be or not to be, and Bill will be like, "What? <laughs> what know, is or, that? What are you talking about?" Or Bill will just totally gloss over it and carry on, and and you'll do that. You'll be like, "Did you get that?" <laughs> I know. I, I'm used to not being understood or gotten to the point where I can recognize the facial expressions usually when people are just trying to shine me on as if they did get it, and sometimes they do get it. Believe it or not. And, uh, but sometimes I have to check and make sure. Hey, you know, it's, it's important stuff because some of it, amazingly enough, is, um, 
some of the best, you know, Shakespeare couldn't have done better himself. Uh, but what we're going to do is there's a test later on. I found a test on the internet of some of the most famous one-liners. So we're going to see uh, how encyclopedic your one-liner oh, knowledge is. Oh, no. I'm hoping you're going to do something on Shakespeare. I might have a chance there. By the way, in Bill Reel's defense, I think he would get to be or not to be. Oh, no, absolutely. That was just okay. the, the first one that came to mind um, without trying to struggle too much to come up with one. I remember when I was on Nemo show, we were doing a meme review and I quoted a couple of lines from Shakespeare and he gave me the same blank look that Bill Reel gives me sometimes. Yeah. Well, what's fantastic is your knowledge um, of some of what is classic literature is so good that the rest of us, you're just so well read, which is unreal. Like, I like to give that impression. Are you telling me you've just got a bunch of one-liners written up on the wall? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, I, I want to tell the story just really quickly, which That's is right. that James Randi, the amazing Randi, famous magician, wrote a book called Flim Flam, which I read back in 1989. And it was about uh, religious charlatans. He said something about Joseph Smith in there, but only in passing, so I let it slide. But he said that if you want to become a famous preacher, a televangelist, and make all kinds of money, what you do is you take three or four short verses from the Bible. You memorize that have general applicability, by the way. Yeah. They're not specific. It's not like baptism for the dead. First uh, Corinthians 15, 29, right? It's um, uh, just general applicability. You memorize the verse. You memorize the reference. And then you work it into the conversation with other people as often as you can. And he said that if you do that, the audience will give you, they will ascribe to you a knowledge of the scriptures that is far and above the knowledge that you actually possess. Oh, wow. I, I used to do a similar thing as a bishop. So once a month, it fell to me to uh, be the final speaker in sacrament meeting. And... I was young, so I was out partying all the time. I was busy as a bishop. So, Did you say you were young, so you were out partying all the time? Yeah, you know, I was 23, uh, married, and yeah. I worked in radio, which meant spent a lot. Uh, the, the radio station I worked at was uh, very much a dance and R&B station. So a lot of events in nightclubs. I used to run those events. In fact, one of my uh, kind of crowning moments, I say crowning moments, it was a difficult moment because I was the bishop in this town that I lived in and I found myself running a club night in that town one weekend. And I ended up, we got the pre-bar where you wanted everyone to go. That bar had paid for advertising. Everyone goes there, has a couple of drinks. And then at a certain time, they cross the road to the club where you give them a few more drinks vouchers. They go listen to some DJs from the radio station. And my job was running these evenings as a, an events coordinator. And I found myself stood on a traffic island in the middle of the road with a loud, uh, you know, like a loud hailer, the big horn speakers that you speak into. Yeah, we would call that a bullhorn. A bullhorn. <laughs> beckoning people from the pre-bar to the club 
with free drinks vouchers. And I just thought to myself, it was maybe 11 p.m. And I'm stood in the middle of the town where I'm the bishop. Screw. And I thought, what if the high priest group leader drives by right now? Or what, what if one of these kind people who I'm, you know, making, I'm telling jokes, I'm, I'm making comments about girls, uh, what they're wearing, about guys, how drunk they are and different things, just having a general laugh, you know. Uh, but what if one of them rocks up at church in the morning as an investigator? And they're kind of like, is that the guy who gave me free drinks vouchers last night? You'd be very yeah. popular. My concern yeah. would be whether one of the high priests comes out of the pre-bar and crosses the road. That would have been hilarious, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, so I quit radio uh, because I, I couldn't couldn't put the two together. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Another career squandered because of Mormonism. Yeah, no, absolutely. After that, I went to Space Cowboy, um, but I was too fat for that, they said. The rocket is only made for so many people, and I I was taking up two seats. So. When you say Space Cowboy, are you talking about an astronaut? Yeah, like when, you, when you're a kid, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I want, I want to be a radio DJ. Okay, can't do that. What else do you want to do? Well, I want to be an astronaut. And now Elon Musk's made it really popular. So there's even more people in, in the line in front of me. Yeah, you I just need have, to save some money. I could have been the first man on Mars, you know. <laughs> okay. Speaking of um, aerial prowess, uh, I just want to bring this uh, gentleman up. So we spoke earlier in Excellent. the week about um, the Simpsons. And time travel. Um, who's who's the creator of The Simpsons? Matt Groening. G R O E N I N G. I think. I think it's pronounced Groening. Yeah, I wanted to say Groberg, but that's the guy who went to like uh... Polynesia. Yes, that's the and the gift of movie. tongues. And his yeah. girlfriend was Anne Hathaway. Yeah, she was beautiful. lucky devil. I know. And they, the rats ate the bottoms of his feet. <laughs> <laughs> but. For those listening on screen now, we have a rendition of Mr. Burns slash Russell M. Nelson with a plane in the background going down with a, a stream of smoke coming out of it, uh, referencing, obviously, the famous story now that he told that we've heard of on Mormonism Live. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, these guys do an amazing job of fact-checking that um experience but russell M. nelson he's given this experience in several books over the years of the death spiral on the airplane and the fact that he was happy with his life but as he looked around the uh the cabin he saw a lady who was fearful of dying um because she hadn't lived her life the way that she should have apparently because he knows everything about everyone by simply looking into their terrified eyes um, but I, I genuinely believe that Matt at Groaning is a time traveler and that he tells us all that subliminally through The Simpsons and that he is based at Mr. Burns on Russell M. Nelson. 
I think that's just an amazing likeness. Taken from uh, the ex-Mormon group on Facebook this week. I don't have a credit um, because no one signed the actual picture, but if you did this, hats off. That's fantastic. Yes, uh, President Nelson's flight of death. You would have thought if he's a smart guy, he'd have at least made it something uh, where they don't actually keep logs of what happens on flights. You know, if you, he could, it could have been like a, a chartered boat, you know, across the across the Utah Lake, and on this this chartered unregistered anonymous boat it started to sink and like the good little boy in holland he put his finger in the dike and held it shut well the problem is he gave too many details so that it could be actually um, pinpointed to some degree as to when this would have happened what flight it would have been because there's only a limited number of flights that go from salt lake city down to St. George, he was flying to when there was a malfunction. Yeah. At the, uh, what was it? At the point of no return, right? The point of I no know. return. And I, I remember talking to Bill about this. You know what point of no return is? Nobody knew. It's from a movie, right? It's, it's actually a term, but it has no application when you're flying over land. The point of no return um, figures prominently in a famous American movie from the 1950s with John Wayne in it called The High and the Mighty. Okay, And Dimitri Tiamkin did a very haunting score for it. And it's kind of famous, but I, I won't hum it because there's no word. So I could actually, I will. It goes. And so forth. Anyway, uh, but they're flying from Hawaii to San Francisco in the movie, I think. And the deal is, is that at the halfway point, once you're halfway and you've got nothing but water under you, now you're at the point of no return, which simply means that it is closer to continue on your way than it is to turn around and head back the way you came. Once you get to the point of no return, the halfway point, you're committed to making it the rest of the way. Turning around isn't going to help because all you got below you is sea. Yeah. So yeah, you're going to crash in the ocean. So that makes sense in the movie, which is really where I think that President Nelson got the line from, because he says that he heard the uh, the pilot of this little, uh, I think it was a Navajo aircraft, just a small passenger aircraft, not a big airliner like in um, The High and the Mighty. But uh, they get halfway there and he hears the, the pilot say, we've just passed the point of no return. And he says, I thought that was a strange thing to say. Well, I can understand why you think it was a strange thing to say, because it doesn't make any sense for a pilot to say that when he's flying over land with intervening airports. Yeah. And you'd imagine that the point of no return is actually when you've used up so much fuel that you don't have enough fuel to turn around and return to your taking off point. You know, I actually, I think that that is probably the correct definition. I am not a pilot. I just watch movies and listen to talks by president Nelson. Yeah, well, everything's a remix. I mean, heaven forbid that President Nelson would use um, a, a one-liner from a movie or even anything unoriginal um, because as a prophet, seer, and revelator, uh, every word is like unto Moses. Yes, well, that's why when I listen to anything that President Nelson says, mentally, 
I always put question marks after it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> got it Isn't that what we're supposed around. to do? Isn't that what Wendy Nelson said? I thought she said that. Wendy Nelson was in the, in your no. You know what? They gave a a, a talk to Europe. Uh, they gave us a good talking to. But yeah, she stood up and she told us all that world media, these podcasts, books, everything other than what the prophets say, everything you should put a question mark after it and then put an exclamation mark after everything that the prophets say because RFM, she uh, quote, the prophets are the standard of truth. You know, things have changed so much, even since I joined the church in the late 70s, because when I joined the church, there were scriptorians that bestrode the world like a colossus. And one of those was Bruce R. McConkie, right? Yeah. Now, Bruce R. McConkie really never, I think, had an original idea in his head. Everything he said, and he, he wrote copiously a number of books. He was quite prolific, but he's really saying the same thing over and over again in all of his books. And what he's doing is he's repeating what his father-in-law, Joseph Ely Smith, had taught. And Joseph Ely Smith is basically repeating what his dad, Joseph F. Smith, had taught. So there's this line of thought. And... In Mormon Doctrine, have you ever heard of that book? <laughs> Mormon Doctrine, yeah, yeah. The um, the Stick of Bruce. Yes. Uh, it's very, very clear. What I grew up with was this idea, yes, we do have prophets on the face of the earth, but they are not untethered from anything else. And in fact, the standard works were considered to be the gold standard for determining truth. And that's in Mormon doctrine. Of course, he's saying what oh Joseph Ely Smith had said as well. But the idea is this, and he says this in there, which is the reason they're called the standard works. Have you ever wondered about that, by the way? Uh, because they're the standard. They are the standard, like a ruler, like a yardstick, okay. uh, whatever. They are the standard by which you measure anything else that is said, including statements from prophets. And if a prophet, even the head of the church, I said even there, didn't I? Even the head <laughs> of the church, if the prophet says something that is not in accord with the standard works, then you can disregard it. Ooh. Now there's some shaky ground to live on. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because um, I'm wearing mixed uh, cotton polyester right now. So you need to go stone me to death. Um, according to Old Testament law, mixed fabrics, I'm in trouble. Oh, right, right. Well, I yeah. think I'm going to have a hamburger, a, a cheeseburger and a milkshake myself. Yeah, well, for all these a little people... little violation of kosher. Yeah, for all the people that get upset at the uh, LGBTQ community because of these Old Testament laws, they really need to take a look at their wardrobe, their, their fridge freezer, and, um, you know, what, what they're doing throughout the, the week, because there's a lot of Old Testament laws um, that they could probably be uh, stoned for as well. Do you know that deal about cheeseburgers or a hamburger and a milkshake? No, go on. Well, there's this Old Testament law. It's talking about that you shall not eat a calf that has been seethed or boiled, uh, seethed in its mother's milk. Do you remember that passage? What? No. It's probably no. Leviticus or something. But yeah, that was a commandment in the law of Moses. And so that came to be understood as, okay, you don't eat uh, 
a dairy product or beef, something that comes from a cow, you can't have two of those in any meal. Because if you do, if you have a cheeseburger, right, you've got the, the burger and you've got the cheese. So cheese comes from a cow, burger comes from a cow. And it could possibly be that the cheese might be coming from the mother of the cow that you're eating. Now, it might be old cheese. I don't know. But that could happen. And therefore, okay, I hope I'm not totally <laughs> destroying or misrepresenting the uh, kosher laws of the Jewish religion. But my understanding is, is that that violates kosher because you could be violating that commandment from Leviticus about not eating the calf that's conceived in its mother's milk. And, and that will be why, because I knew this, I knew that they kept dairy products and meat products in separate refrigerators. Oh, okay, um, yeah. So that so that they don't mix. You don't so even maybe, want it rubbing off. Yeah. So this is part of the, the hedge that the, um, yeah, part of the hedge that the rabbis or uh, the Jewish <laughs> scholars built around the law in order to make sure that nobody got anywhere near to where they could violate the law. By the way, going back to the thing about uh, profits and the standard works, that seemed to have suffered a sea change in 1980 or 81 when Ezra Taft Benson gave his famous talk about the 14 fundamentals of following the prophet. And one of those fundamentals, I can't remember which number it is. It's one or 14 or something in between, which is that it is the living prophet who controls. Whatever the living prophet says is what you follow, regardless mm -hmm. of whether it contradicts something that a prophet said in the past. Actually, he doesn't say if it contradicts, okay? Because I think that would be a bridge too far for him to be that transparent. Uh, what he says is living prophets trump dead prophets. And he says, you know, uh, in Noah's day, uh, they built an ark and that was essential then. But now we follow living prophets regardless uh, of what prior prophets have said. And it occurred to me sometime after that, that really the only reason that Ezra Taft Benson or anybody would ever make this argument about living prophets trumping dead prophets is because there are occasions where living prophets are contradicting dead prophets. If there were no occasions like that, that Ezra Taft Benson knew about, then there would be no reason for that fundamental, that particular one of the 14 fundamentals. You don't have to make that rule. Follow the living prophet. Living prophets trump dead prophets unless there was a problem that you knew about that you want to avoid. You know what? The interesting thing is you've given the the black and white there of the living and the dead. But I was asking a, a TBM family member about this exact issue with regards to uh, the stance on the LGBTQ community and Jeffrey R. Holland's talk. Mm. Um, the musket speech. The, the muskets. And in their opinion, they're like, oh, it's, it's all bluster. It's much ado about nothing. But... Shakespeare. I, said to him, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a little ding. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, I've been saving that one. <laughs> but I said to him, so the you sustain the 12 apostles and the first presidency all as prophets, seers, and revelators. And you go by their words. But what about when... Um, the prophet that they are contradicting is still alive. For instance, Dallin H. Oaks, when he speaks about 
Uh, there's the quote about him saying that uh, if you have a child who is gay, you can let them know that they're welcome to bring their partner over, but they can't stay for the night and don't even think you're going to come out to a restaurant with us. Or when he speaks about not letting homosexuals um, have any uh, position of influence in the media. And that, have you not seen that quote? Oh, yeah. Well, that was from his memo that he did back in the 1980s, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but there are all these things that the prophets that now stand up and are saying we must love, we must be inclusive. Um, and, you know, we have uh, LDS.org or gayLDS.org and all of these things from the prophets today but they're contradicting themselves so there the becomes a, another section there of which ones do you believe do you believe dallin h oaks from 2022 or dallin h oaks from 1982 because they're two very different prophets yes well you know mormonism is an interesting institution in that truth is determined not by what is said but by who says it it makes no difference yeah. really what what they're talking about the important thing is to figure out who it is who said it and then do this mental exercise of trying to figure out okay who has the most seniority now we know if they're alive they definitely trump the ones who are dead that's easy but yeah. like you say this makes it a little bit more challenging because then you start saying okay well he was only an apostle when he said that he wasn't the president of the church and then you start saying, okay, well, this person had more seniority than that person. And therefore, the person with more seniority is the person that we're going to listen to because they've got more of a clue about what truth is than this other person. And uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon. How do you come down on that? Um, I think that it's all codswallop. And that, that is a great word, codswallop. Yes. Um, that's a very polite English way of saying it's BS. Um, but yes is it's it, all is it bollocks it's, it's all bollocks mate <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, yeah it's absolute bollocks isn't it no I, I i'll tell you my personal feeling and i don't have anything else to base this on is that when elder oak says something about uh you know don't have your gay son overnight at your house with his uh, companion and don't expect us yeah. to take you out to dinner because we don't want to be seen with you publicly because other people might think that I support you. That, I think, is probably the more authentic feelings yeah. of Elder Oaks. Now, a person certainly can change over time. I know I've changed over time, so maybe he's changed over time. But based upon what I've seen with Elder Oaks, I think that he he knows what presents better to the public. Yes. And so when he yeah. is in public, he will say things that he knows he should say, even though my impression is, that he doesn't really believe it. He still has those old feelings that he expressed and which are still available in an interview on the church website. Yeah, well, and that's that's the thing. On the church website now, they've started putting a, um, a caveat at the beginning of some of these talks from old enzymes to say that the issues or the, the language in the talk is from uh, another time you know let's be let's give poor joseph a break but that they you know that that doesn't count today and then it gives uh links to more recent versions of whether it's a talk on the family where 
the apostle is saying that the woman should be in the home tied to the cooker in the kitchen sink and that's her place to bear children and populate worlds without number she bears um, children in the kitchen it's been known <laughs> uh, well i've heard about a bun in the oven yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely 